Annalie, are you excited to go to ReaderCon and WISCON this summer? I actually am really excited. I feel like finally things are opening up enough that I can go to sci-fi cons and feel like pretty safe, especially a lot of them happen during the summer, which is good because you can do lots of stuff outside. And WISCON is the longest running feminist science fiction convention in the United States. And they're taking a break next year. So I'm really glad that I get to go this year and just like hang out and shoot the breeze. And this will be my first time at ReaderCon. So and you're you are coming with me to ReaderCon. So we're I am hopefully just like eat a lot of yummy food and hang out with our nerdy friends in Boston. Yeah, I'm going to a bunch of sci-fi conventions this summer, and I feel like that is my new thing from now on, is like summer is going to be when I go to conventions, because you can hang out outdoors, you can eat a lot of ice cream. I'm going to basically just like be like mainlining ice cream and like talking about books and, you know, other media with people. And I'm just going to soak up that hot, hot discourse. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> I like you your, know, I like books and other media. That sounded very I, <laughs> academic. You know, I will be discussing con. other media as well. <laughs> I'm sure that we will occasionally veer into talking about like Doctor Who or the Owl House, but uh-huh. there's going to be a lot of like, oh my God, books. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, which is, uh, that's what I live for. And I feel like Screw going to the beach. I want to go to like some weird hotel in the middle of nowhere and like talk about books with other nerds. Uh, But, you know, it is uh, the start of kind of the summer entertainment season. And so we thought we would kind of talk you through what your entertainment options are currently, because there are books and other media out there to consume. And, you know, so let's talk about what we're excited for this summer. You're listening to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about science, science fiction, and the nature of reality. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. My latest book is Promises Stronger Than Darkness. And I'm also writing New Mutants Lethal Legion for Marvel. I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. My latest novel is The Terraformers. So in our mini episode next week, we're going to be talking about you know, whether superhero movies are finally starting to kind of run into trouble and be less of a sure thing than they used to be. And by the way, did you know that this podcast is completely independent and completely funded by you, our listeners, through Patreon? That's right. If we were superheroes, y'all would be our Alfred. Y'all would be our, you know, Jarvis. You would be like building our superhero costumes and like keeping our superhero headquarters safe. And, you know, if you're a patron, you are making this podcast possible through your support. And you get mini episodes every other week. Mini, mini, mini. Then those are some of our best conversations that we save for you, our beloved friends. And you get access to our Discord channel where we just hang out constantly and just, you know, Whatever you can spare, a few bucks a month and up, uh, we really appreciate it. It really helps us to keep this podcast going. And anything you give us goes right back into making our opinions even more correct. So find us at patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. All right, let's get hot. All right, Charlie Jane, 
I don't care about other media. I want to know what's going on with movies this summer. Tell me everything. Yeah. So this is more of like a normal movie summer, like compared to like last year and the year before. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of tentpole movies in theaters. Uh, I think it's the most since 2019. Uh, You know, last year you had Top Gun Maverick and a couple of other big movies that came out. But this feels more regular. Like there's a ton. So like what? You know, it's a summer of sequels, remakes, and IP being developed by big studios. Like, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we've already had Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which has not come out yet at the time of recording. And we're about to have a 10th Fast and the Furious movie, a live-action version of Disney's The Little Mermaid, uh, a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, another Transformers movie, which I think is like the 8th or ninth Transformers movie. Wait, so this Um, new Transformers movie, though, just to be clear, it has like the animal bots in it or something? I actually am not sure. Sure. I'm actually I was not like, sure. I tuned out after Dinobots because Dinobots is that's I mean, Dinobots, the all and end all. You can't me. really get any better after Dinobots. No. And then there's like another Indiana Jones movie where now he's like, you know, he's Jonesing again. That's his new catchphrase. Like, I'm Jonesing for adventure. <laughs> I still think he's being played by like bard AI or something at this point. <laughs> I mean, they are digitally youthening his face at this point. So he, you know, there's scenes where it's like the young Indiana Jones and it's Harrison Ford oh, yeah. and they're just kind of making him, which has now become like one of those things that Hollywood does all the time, which never doesn't look a little uncanny valley to me. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a movie of The Flash, the DC superhero. There's a fifth Insidious movie. There's a seventh Mission Impossible movie. There's a Barbie movie, which I'm actually excited for. We're going to talk about that. There's a movie of Disney's Haunted Mansion theme park ride. There's a sequel to The Meg, which is that movie about the prehistoric giant shark. Yep, loved There's it. another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, this one made by Seth Rogen. And there's a movie of the superhero Blue Beetle. Basically, there's 14 movies this summer, which are big IP, sequel, remake, whatevers. Holy crap. So I guess my dream of fresh original concepts can just die here, right? You know, I think that especially in movies now where it's really hard to get people to go to movie theaters post-pandemic, it's like we want a sure thing. But, you know, let's talk about one of those movies. Let's talk about Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. Adelie, what are you, why are you excited about that? I mean, first of all, like everyone, I loved the first film. I'm a fan of the Miles Morales comics. And you know me, I love an excuse to have some kind of allegory in my films. And Mm -hmm. I love that in the Into the Spider-Verse stories, the idea of code switching is really centered and that there it's sort of used as a metaphor for what it means to be a superhero, where you're constantly switching between different identities. And Miles Morales yeah. is often switching between, you know, uh, having an identity where he's part of a Black community and then he goes to school and he's hanging out with all of these more upper crusty white kids. Mm-hmm. And so we get, and he's switching between English and Spanish. And so I just love that not only is it just a freaking fun time and a delightful dip into the multiverse with beautiful animation, it also lets us think about what it's like to be a kid who is switching between different modes all the time because of his ethnic background. 
I do love that they're adding Spider-Man 2099 this time, who is the Spider-Man oh, of they? the future. Ooh. Who I just I love Spider-Man 2099. I I think that's going to be really interesting. Does Spider-Man 2099 have any special futuristic gadgets or powers like I mean, titanium I feel like web he does. I feel like he does, but I can't remember. I feel like we'll he's just out. like Yeah, I read all the Spider-Man 2099 comics back in the day and I know there's more now, but I I've fallen behind on 2099. So, Charlie Jane, what's a movie that you're really excited about? So I mentioned that, you know, there are these kind of IP plays where toys and theme park rides are being turned into movies. And I got to admit, I'm super excited for two of those. The Barbie movie, which, you know, when you think, oh, there's a Barbie movie, you think it's going to be like the Emoji movie or like the Angry Birds movie. But no, it is. it looks ridiculous and self-aware. Margaret Robbie is playing Barbie, and she's like bringing that kind of same sweet snark that she's become famous for. And it's, uh, you know, it's directed by Greta Gerwig, who previously had done Lady Bird and Little Women. And now she's just going into campy toy movies. And I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like. I think it could be incredible. And then there's The Haunted Mansion, which is directed by Justin Simeon, the creator of Dear White People, one of my favorite shows in the last 10 years. And it has a cast that includes people like Lakeith Stanfield and Tiffany Haddish and Dan Levy, among others. And, you know, I feel like if we're going to get a movie based on a toy or a theme park ride, I would love for it to be dripping with irony and self-awareness and, you know, amazing actors who are just goofing it the hell up. This mansion is unhinged. She needs all the help she can get. You want to be a hero? Pass. $2,000 was the address. It's funny because there was a Haunted Mansion movie back in 2003 with Eddie Murphy. And right. I, I don't know whatever happened with that. I had kind of gotten the impression that it didn't do very well and that they'd kind of abandoned the idea that they were going to do all these theme park movies. But I guess not. I feel like maybe Guillermo del Toro was going to make a Haunted Mansion movie at one point, And yeah. maybe that's a dream I had. I don't know. Yeah. And also... There's the Muppets Haunted Mansion movie from 2021, right. which like right. came and went, didn't hear anything about it. So we keep trying to make it happen. And and good luck to you, Justin Simeon. You you go. Yeah. And meanwhile, Christopher Nolan is making a biopic of Oppenheimer, which, you know, could be really interesting. I, I grew up on like the miniseries of Oppenheimer where it's like there's a lot of gravitas and a lot of like intensity. And it's just it's I, I love him as like a character in kind of metafiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about that. I, I don't know if Killian I mean, Murphy is who I, I would have like, chosen. Oh, uh, well, he could do probably could do fine. I do feel like it's a very Christopher Nolan property. Like it's very on brand for him. Like. It's about science, but it's also very portentous, and it's all about the fate of the world. So I could actually see him doing a good job. I have to admit, I'm not excited about it because I know it's going to be, like, really depressing and ponderous. But, um, you know, if it had, like, some car chases or, I don't know, like, holes in space that led us to a weird planet, I'd tune in. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Um, What do you think about the new Wes Anderson flick, Asteroid City? I feel like... Wes Anderson is sometimes like the greatest ever, and sometimes his stuff is is really uneven. I was literally just watching the trailer for Asteroid City like last night, and I was thinking, this looks extremely like even campier than other Wes Anderson films, which is saying something even more kind of 
twee and committed to like the tweeness. Mm-hmm. But in a way that, I mean, it's it's a period piece and it's filmed in this very sort of technicolor way. And it's mm-hmm. got like, as usual, like this incredible cast of actors being just like quirky and weird. And, you know, there's like, oh, there's aliens. And this is like a town of like, you know, and it's Asteroid City and people are trapped in Asteroid City. And there's like alien are invaders they, and stuff. Are they on another planet no or? it's like earth in the 1950s or early 60s oh so it's, it's like basically playing with that kind of mid-century imagery of the future and stuff like yeah that. and it's sort of very roswell inspired i think judging from oh. the trailer and like you know i think it's like it's like the space age and it's wes asderson kind of commenting on the space age and on our space age fantasies That's and it cool. looks it looks very cute i will definitely watch the heck out of it I have to say, like his his movie, The Grand Budapest Hotel, was, yes. was one of my all time favorite movies. Oh my god, yes! I love Moonrise Kingdom, which is kind of set. I feel like in the '60s, so it is sort of maybe in the same time as Moonrise Kingdom. It could be '70s, maybe. I think he just has a really great ability to conjure a world using style. Like he he's he uses music, he uses set design to really do incredible world building. And when he's on, his characters are so lovable and weird and memorable. And, you know, I, so I hope, I hope that it's good. I, I definitely will go. I'm hoping it's more of a life aquatic experience than like, you know, I don't know, the Isle of Dogs or Darjeeling Limited, which were not very good <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, we're all hoping for another life aquatic. Ugh. Or, you know, whatever. You go, Wes. I'm excited. Yeah, and one superhero movie I am excited for this summer is Blue Beetle, which was actually made for HBO yeah. Max. And is now has been promoted to be an, a theatrical release. And it's about Charlie, a Latino it's just superhero. Max. Okay, right, it's just Max. Max. <laughs> just Max. <laughs> Sorry, it was continue. It was made for Max. It was a Max movie, but now it's not a Max movie. It's now... It's been like boosted past the max, like we went (laughs) to the max and then beyond with this movie. And like, it's about a Latino superhero who like, there had been other characters named Blue Beetle, but I remember when they rolled out this version of Blue Blue Beetle played by like, who is his secret identity is Jaime Reyes. And he's like a young, you know, Latino dude who lives with his family and his family all get involved in him being a superhero. And it's just, the trailer looks really sweet. It looks like a really fun movie. And I'm really hoping it actually breaks out and becomes like a huge success because I would love to see more Blue Beetle on the big screen. Is is Blue Beetle a, a comic book character? He is. And like I said, like about 10, 15 years ago, John Rogers, Keith Giffen, and a bunch of other people reinvented him as this Latino character. And he has like oh, okay. a an alien kind of scarab it's like an alien kind of Hmm. beetle thing that gets on climbs that climbs onto his back and attaches to his spine and then it activates and turns into armor that like is all around him and he has like little beetle legs and he can shoot lasers and he can do all this other stuff and he's he doesn't know how to control it so he's constantly smashing into things it's a little bit greatest american hero sometimes Mm -hmm. and he's kind of cocky it's a little bit like the tick at least the tv version of right it is a little bit like the tick one yeah yeah, so, which I love. Like I, I'm, oh my I'm totally gosh. excited. I, I always like um, magical high tech suit characters. I, I don't know why. Like it's just it's a it's a trope that I love. So I'm I'm totally excited about that. Okay, so let's talk about some other media, other um, media. such as uh, otter media. No, I I don't know if there's going to be any otter media media this summer, but television 
I am so freaking psyched about season two of The After Party. So Same. tell me all about it. Yeah, so The After Party is one of my favorite TV shows of the last few years. It is a murder mystery show where the entire season, the first the first season is solving one murder, and each episode is from a different character's point of view, and each episode is a different genre, which is completely my jam. So amazing. A thousand percent my jam. So this time, the so detective is played by Tiffany Haddish, who is on top form. Like, she is... Yeah, she's like, always I've, great. I've always loved her, but I feel like this is one of my favorite things she's done, because she's just having so much fun being a detective. And it's a very anti copaganda show like it critiques the police as part mm-hmm. of its kind of story that's part of the kind of stakes of it is that if tiffany haddish doesn't solve the crime in the first season this terrible white guy detective will come in and just like arrest the first black man that he sees which is Anique, uh played by sam richardson and sam richardson is back in season two as Anique, Yay! and oh zoe my God, chow I is back his character so much and but they're joined by a whole new cast other than that including oh. john cho and this season, it takes place at a wedding where the groom is murdered. And I just, oh my God, I cannot wait. This is, I'm going to get Apple TV as soon as this is available. Yeah. One of my favorite things in the after party was they went through a bunch, like you said, they went through, through different genres. So they had a sitcom, they had a, a suspense episode, they had a, a musical episode, which was amazing. But then the final episode is from the point of view of a little kid. Oh, and it's a, yeah. it's a Muppet Show episode. And as the kid walks through the party, the kid sees about half the party guests as Muppets. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, this is very realistic to how it is to be a kid. Like half the shit you see is just like weird magical crap. And you're just like, oh, yeah, there's a there's an elephant in the corner. Sure. I I understand there's an elephant in the corner. Why not? So that was um, a particularly uh, inspired moment. I am really excited about season two of Heartstopper, which is a super incredibly sweet, wholesome British sitcom romance about two high school boys who fall in love. And there's no bad stuff. Like, uh, there's a tiny bit of There's a little bit of homophobia. There's a little bit of like... I would call it very light homophobia that is immediately stamped out and, you know, designated as unacceptable there's like one self-hating gay character who is the worst right and actually and that's interesting because the one character who's homophobic is a self-hating gay character and so it's treated as like this guy just needs therapy you know Mm -hmm. like it's not treated as like everyone hates these characters it's like no they have a best friend who's a trans woman and there's like all of this and they have two gay women friends and like it's just this incredibly sweet imagining of what if a romance between two boys was pretty much like a heterosexual romance where like the issues are really like can they get in touch with their feelings like who's going to go to the prom like it's all very gentle and sweet and it's based on a a series of graphic novels and the show incorporates a certain amount of animation to give you the flavor of the graphic novel so like when the main character sees the boy he's in love with, like little flowers and leaves kind of like float across the screen. It's so great. And um, so, yeah, season two, I'm sure they're going to be dealing with like issues, but mostly I'm just in it for like the smoky looks and kissing. 
Yeah, supposedly in season two, we get Nick's brother, who apparently is biphobic. That's what I've read. So there might be some more issues. And like, I do think it's like, it's a show that's sort of very lightly a fantasy because it feels like the feel of it is very, very comic booky and very kind of magical, which I, I adore. Yeah. I mean, there's no actual magic, but it's very heightened. And um, yeah. All right. So tell me, we were just discussing Muppets. So tell me about the Muppets Mayhem featuring the Electric Mayhem Band. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always, one of my favorite aspects of the Muppet show was this band, the Electric Mayhem Band with like Dr. Teeth, I think. And like, yeah, and Animal and on Animal Drums. And drum, Animal, Animal the is drummer. like... I'm deeply animal identified in case anyone's wondering what Muppet is me. That's me. I have a gigantic mouth and I just go around going like, rah, that's, that's my whole personality. I'm probably Gonzo or I don't even know. I'm, no. I'm like, I'm one of the Muppets that's really kind of like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm one of the Muppets who barely even like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just one of the weird Muppets, but yeah, I mean, I love that band and they're making a TV show about that band and basically like the, premise of the show is that they've been a band for 30 years, but they've never made an album before. So now they're going to record their first album. And this is their process of their struggle to make a a record album. And, you know, the guest stars include folks like Weird Al Yankovic and Lil Nas X. And the trailer looks super fun. I'm just like, yes, I want Lil Nas X hanging out with Muppets. I want Weird Al Yankovic being Weird Al Yankovic. I think this everything about this is just delighting me. Um, Annalie, what's another show that you're like fiending for? I am super excited about a show called I'm a Virgo, which is from Boots Riley, who did Sorry to Bother You, which is one of my all-time favorite science fiction films in general. And he has an incredible twisted sense of humor and also just a really keen eye for turning dark social problems into absurd scenarios. So like all of his work, this is set in Oakland, California, um, and it's about a teenage boy who's black, who's also nine feet tall. And his parents have been hiding him away for his whole life because they're scared about what's going to happen to this incredibly gigantic kid. And um, the premise is that he finally, as a teenager, gets out of the house and now he's learning about life and uh, the trailer for it dropped a few weeks ago. You can check it out online. A few episodes were aired at Sundance, I believe, and uh, people are going nuts for it. It just sounds like uh, all the critics are basically A++++. So I cannot freaking wait to see this bizarro pants tale from Boots Riley. I am dying to see that. So let's just do a quick television lightning round. And like one sentence each about shows that we're excited for. I'm excited about Strange New Worlds, mostly because of like Stefan from Vampire Diaries playing Captain Kirk and like Lower Decks, the characters from Lower Decks showing up in live action. I am excited about The Witcher season three. This is the final season with Henry Cavill. And we're going to see what's happening with his magical ward and the outcome of what's going on with Yennefer the Witch. Bring it on. I'm pretty stoked for Secret Invasion, the latest Marvel TV show, because it's like Nick Fury fighting shapeshifting aliens who have infiltrated our world. I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. I want to see Ahsoka, which is the next Star Wars TV show. Love seeing her show up in The Mandalorian briefly. And supposedly that's coming in August. So I'm really, really happy to, to dive into that. And then there's an animated version of Frog and Toad. I'm so excited about that. Frog and Toad are my favorite gay uncles. 
I I cannot wait to see that. It's on Apple TV. Okay, let's talk about books. Charlie Jane, lay it on me. What's a book that you're super pumped for this summer? So there's a book that I've already read because sometimes I get to read books ahead of time that comes out in May called To Shape a Dragon's Breath by Monaquil Black Goose. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. That book rocked my world and I love it so much and I can't wait for you all to read it. It's about a an indigenous girl named Anakus who has a dragon's egg that hatches and she's the first person among her people to have a dragon in generations. But then she has to go to like a boarding school where the colonizers will teach her to handle her dragon properly. And it's kind of an alternate version of like, you know, North American colonization where it's like the 1840s, but the North North America has been colonized by this group called the English who are like the English, but they're more Nordic and more Germanic and they worship like the Norse gods. So there's no Christianity, but they're still, they're still operating like colonizers. They're, They're still trying to turn her into a proper young lady. And like half of her training is about how to deal with, controlling a dragon and using the dragon's breath to like reshape elements through alchemy. But the other half of her training is just pre- being a proper young lady, which means being assimilated into like English culture. And she has to kind of resist assimilation. But if she doesn't perform well in school, quote unquote, her dragon will be put to death. And like, it's about the the ins and outs of going to school and making friends and stuff. But there's this undercurrent of suspense and dread because you know that her adorable baby dragon is in danger every moment. And it's just, it's a really nuanced look at colonization and like assimilation and everything. Annalie, what's a book that you're excited about? Wow. Well, I have to say, I am very excited about To Shape a Dragon's Breath. That's literally like every single button in my brain is punched by what's happening in that book, Um, starting with dragons and all the way down to reimagining colonization. But another book I'm super excited about that I read in advance is called Counterweight, it is a the first English translation of an insanely popular Korean novel by an anonymous author who goes by the name Juna, that's D-J-U-N-A, and it's a kind of mystery in the vein of Philip K. Dick because Ooh. it's set in a near future on an island that's been basically bought by a corporation in order to put a space elevator at the equator, which is actually technically where you would need to have like the base of your space elevator. It really needs to be in an equatorial area. And so this guy who's the main character is kind of a um, a fixer in a sense for this corporation, seeking out people who might be, you know, selling data from the corporation or uh, engaging in uh, terrorism against it because there's certain indigenous folks on the island who are kind of pissed off that this corporation came in and bought it. So there's a lot of complexity around uh, modern day colonization, basically, you know, the ways in which corporations can act as de facto colonizers um, in areas where they're developing industry. Uh, but on the other hand, it has this incredible subplot about people getting brain implants that take their memories, give them new memories, allow them to occupy uh, different personalities. And that's the Philip K. Dick part, where the main character is trying to solve this mystery, but at the same time, he's not sure if someone is messing with his mind or if someone's messing with the mind of his adversary and, like, who really is who they say they are. So it's kind of like space cyberpunk-ish, And there's tons of twists and turns. If you ever watch 
like corporate K-dramas, which I freaking love. It has a lot of that. Like it has a lot of like the rich guy who owns the company that owns the space elevator has like really weird relationships with his family and that kind of trickles down. So there's weird family stuff, weird space elevator stuff, a lot of strange new technology that's delightful. And it's really suspenseful. Like it's a really fun, fast read. I would say perfect beach read. And nice. the twist, the twist ending, which obviously I will not give away, truly is twisty. Like when I got there, I was like, this is twisted and twisty. And I did not see it coming. Even though once it happened, I was like, oh yeah, the seeds were laid. So it, it's really delightful. So that's called Counterweight. That's amazing. Uh, what else are you excited about? So I'm really, really stoked for He Who Drowned the World by Shelley Parker Chan, which is the sequel to She Who Became the Sun, which was a huge blockbuster book um, a couple of years ago. And basically, He Who Drowned the World, it's the second book in the duology, I think. It's mm -hmm. about a monk named Ju, who is like, you know, kind of a... I don't know. I mean, Ju was assigned female at birth, but has disguised himself as a, a, a male monk and is now kind of identifying as a, as a dude and has kind of risen to become like this great military leader and is trying to win the, the throne and become emperor. And in order to achieve this goal, Ju is going to have to team up with Ouyang, who is, you know, a Mongol who kind of betrayed his best friend in the first book. Sorry, that's a bit of a spoiler if you haven't read the first book. But uh, he's Ouyang is a eunuch who wanted revenge against, you know, the his the killer of his father. And he's now kind of gotten revenge, but now he's going to have to team up with Jude to take over the throne. And they've been enemies in the first book. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. The yeah. first book was so thrilling and a little upsetting, but in a good way. And I'm really, I cannot wait to read the second book. I think it's going to be just like astounding. And it's just, I'm so, I cannot wait. It comes out in August. Annalie, tell me about another book that you're excited for. So also coming out in August is Karen Lord's novel, The Blue Beautiful World, which is the third in a series that starts with the best of all possible worlds. Oh my God. And it kind of, I mean, and then the second book is The Galaxy Game. And I had not read the other two books in a really, really long time. I'd kind of forgotten a lot of it. And so I can tell you that if you read The Blue Beautiful World without having read the other ones, you'll probably be okay. There's some references that you might miss, but like it's still a pretty fun, action-packed story, even without reading the other two books, which I would recommend that you do just because they're great. They're amazing. They really are amazing. And Karen has such an incredible imagination when it comes to the future because she doesn't just think about new technologies like virtual reality, which is a big part of this book, but also diplomatic relationships. And Karen has a background in diplomacy. She worked uh, in diplomacy for many years. And so she has this very realistic future global bureaucracy that's kind of like the UN, but with one piece that's different, which is that Secretly, aliens have infiltrated the UN and they're trying Ooh. to prepare humanity for meeting all of these other alien civilizations that have politics that are as complicated as Earth politics. And so the main characters in The Blue Beautiful World are a group of young people who've been chosen to work as ambassadors to help out with this transition as Earth kind of comes into this galactic UN. And they're having to, you know, memorize all these facts about these other worlds. And it really reminded me of like 
model you in in high school where you're like trying to memorize all these facts about different nations and you're like, wait, what's the regime change happening in Uganda? Like what's going on in this country? And like, but they're doing it with other planets, which of course have had civil wars and have different factions. And like, it's never simple. It's not like, oh, we're going to go meet the Cardassians. Every Cardassian has the same political perspective, pretty much. Right. It's Instead, it's like, oh, are you meeting this faction or that faction from this world? And so it's really politically crunchy and fun. And it's also just a romp. Like, there's a whole uh, assassination plot. And there's a lot of, like, teaching people how to use, like, hyper virtual reality to do all kinds of stuff. And also just bizarre alien minds that maybe transcend death. We don't know. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about that, but there's a sense of wonder at the core of this book. So if you like first encounter stories about aliens, if you like stories about the diplomatic core uh, in the galaxy, um, you're really going to love this book. And also a lot of it is about music too. A lot of the virtual reality tech has to do with music. So, Oh my God, um, I can't wait. It's so good. I I really recommend it, especially if you need something optimistic in your world and you're tired of dystopia. So yeah, uh, The Blue Beautiful World by Karen Lord. Uh, the first book in that uh, series, the, the Best of All Possible Worlds, is, is one of my favorite space opera books of all time. I think about it constantly. I think that series is incredible. So let's just do a quick lightning round for books like we did for sure. television. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I'm just going to start off. I'm really excited for Silver Nitrate by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, which is, you know, she's been on a roll lately. And this one's got, like, Nazi filmmakers who put magic into, like, film stock and a woman sound editor who's trying to, like, break into the male-dominated Mexico City film industry in the 1990s. It sounds really, like, intense and weird, and I'm super pumped for it. Annalie, tell me about a book. I am excited that Anne Leckie is returning to the Imperial Ratch world that she introduced us to in Ancillary Justice, which was a huge award-winning best-selling book. Uh, The new book is called Translation State. So bring it on. I'm really happy to go back to that world. One book I just read is Ink Blood Sister Scribe by Emma Torres, which is about sisters and enchanted books written in human blood and it's full of like dark secrets and like you know the future of magic it's just a really sweet beautiful book that ends up like i just really fell in love with it i am totally flipping my lid over the archive undying by emma mieko kandon it's coming in july it's got mechas which i love it's got AI gods, which I want to overthrow. It has a gay immortal, which, duh, everybody needs that. And mm-hmm. people are just really excited about it. I've been just hearing about it nonstop. So that sounds really good to me. What's another one from you? Yeah, one more from me. Uh, the Water Outlaws by S.L. Huang, who's yes. a friend of the pod. And it's a queer retelling of the Chinese classic, The Water Margin. And I just, I can't wait for it. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. All right. So after the break, we're going to talk about summer offerings in general and like the changing world of summer entertainment. So you mentioned that there's a lot of big IP movies this summer, meaning sequels and franchises, and that's kind of the same, but has anything changed within this kind of endless cycle of having the fifth episode and the ninth episode of a particular franchise? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there has been a bit of a sea change. Like, I was looking back, we didn't do a summer entertainment preview episode for some reason in 2022. So the last one we did was in 2021. And going back and looking at what we talked about in 2021 versus now, it's very different. And some of that is things returning to normal, quote unquote. But, you know, there is that trend that was happening, you know, for the last, like, I don't know, 15 years of, like, movie theaters being more and more dominated by big franchise entertainment and like mm-hmm. as soon as you know once we started getting multiple marvel movies every year for a while there we were getting a star wars movie every year you mm-hmm. know you have these big franchises that are just dominating at the cineplex or whatever the cineplex i mean whatever uh, <laughs> it's 1980 anyway and uh yeah and it just i feel like that trend like I said earlier, the pandemic really boosted that trend because now it's like, yeah, am I going to leave my house to see this small indie movie that probably would look fine on my big screen TV at home? Or am I going to really only leave my house and go be among a bunch of people for like the next Star Wars movie or the next like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy movie? And mm-hmm. I feel like the thing that will so, shake you in your seat. The, the thing where the VFX are so awesome that you really have to see it in IMAX or something. Sure. And so I feel like there's that's happened. But the other thing that's happened since 2021 is we talked a lot in our 2021 summer entertainment episode about how, you know, there's so many Marvel TV shows now, it's hard to keep track of them. And it's there's just so many, like, you know, there was like 20 Star Trek shows. There was like three Star <laughs> yes. Wars shows in 2021. That's yeah. now kind of over. Like, I feel yeah. like the, the flood has slowed down to like more of a re- reasonable flow. So we're not getting like 20 Marvel TV shows this year anymore. Like a bunch that were supposed to come out this year have been pushed back to next year or the year after. Same with Star Wars, same with Star Trek. Things are just kind of slowing down a little bit. And it feels like TV is is kind of returning to normal in a, in a weird way as well. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about summer season is that there's been this ongoing shift where big tentpole movies that used to be considered summer movies are kind of coming out all year round. Like we're getting action movies coming out kind of at the winter break time in December. And it used to be that summer was supposed to be when everybody was out of school. And so you would get these kind of family-friendly, exciting movies that were basically the movie equivalent of beach reads, you know? Right. And and you could bring the kids, you could bring the grandparents, you know, it wasn't going to be some, like, brooding cyber future full of darkness. It was, or it wasn't going to be, like, a, you know, an emotional melodrama. It was just mm-hmm. going to be popcorn. And, yeah, I, I feel like that's, that the summer now is just whatever, like, whatever you want it to be. Like, there's going to be some... Superman movie type thing, but not necessarily. It's it's now year round, and and meanwhile, the notion of like TV having seasons is kind of over. Like thanks to streaming yeah. and cable, like it used to be like the TV season started in September and went through like May with like a mid season break over the winter, and you didn't get a lot of television shows in the summer, and so it was like this really hard stark demarcation. Between like, you know, the time of year when we watch a lot of TV and the time of the year when we watch a lot of movies and like so many other things, that's now gone and that's just over. But meanwhile, peak TV in general is like officially coming to an end. And by Mm -hmm. the time you listen to this, there may or may not be a writer's strike. We're recording this in late April, so we're waiting to find out. 
But either, whether there's a writer strike or not, it feels as though everybody agrees that peak TV is now over, and there's like massive layoffs at all the big entertainment companies, yeah. and a bunch of projects have been shot and are just never going to be seen by a human being, um, and a bunch of other projects are just being canceled. And so, you know, Slate wrote recently about like what they call the rise of trough TV, which is what replaces peak TV, and their conclusion, we'll link to it in the show notes, is just that we'll see fewer quirky, weird little shows, fewer odd experiments. When we did our Summer Entertainment Guide in 2021, we were talking a lot about shows like Pose and Tuca and Birdie and those shows <sighs> pouring one out. Like, Pose at least got to kind of tell a complete story. Tuca and Birdie just could have run forever, and I'm really sad that it didn't. Um, yeah, it was basically I, ripped out of our hearts without any warning, without any closure. I'm, like, still mad about it. Um, I feel like The Owl House is another example I of a know. show that was ripped away from us. Um, the Owl and, House could have gone for, gone for another five seasons. No problem. Oh, yeah. And, and it was clear that that was what had been planned. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I used to feel, like, several years ago, like, truly delighted when I would read about new offerings, especially from streamers, but also from networks. And you would see shows that had leads who were trans or who were people of color and that were coming from all different cultural perspectives, all different class perspectives. You saw shows about immigrants. You saw shows about like weird random cults like that were funny somehow. I mean, like, I, I'm not really subtweeting anything in particular there, but, like, it just felt like this was a moment when finally television in the United States was reflecting the actual people who live in the United States. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like, oh, now when we make a Star Trek show, we've got to make sure that the main captain guy is, like, a square-jawed white man. And, like, no shade on Strange New Worlds, but it was, like... Wow, we're right back in 1984 or whatever. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel very contemporary. I love Anson Mount as as Christopher Pike. I think he's doing a fantastic job. But the contrast between that and like Star Trek Discovery uh -huh. is really noticeable. And like Star Trek or Discovery Lower is coming Decks. to an end. Yeah, or Lower Decks, which obviously is animated and probably a lot cheaper to produce. But yeah, it's interesting. And you know, this is the thing that worries me, both as someone who loves to consume television and movies and someone who, you know, wants to write for various media, um, other media besides books. You know, there was actually an article in The Hollywood Reporter recently that talked about Amazon specifically, where it said they're relying more on testing data that skews towards a preference for content that features straight white male leads. And they quoted a current or former company insider who was not named, worried about an over-reliance on shows about, quote, white guys with guns. And, you know, full disclosure, Amazon has been developing a TV show based on my book, Victory is Greater Than Death. And I don't think that this is just an Amazon thing. I've seen similar stuff written in the trades about other streamers and cable channels and, you know, broadcasters. And it worries me. I feel like there is, I can see it now in the new shows that are coming along. There's more white guys with guns and less everything else. Yeah, it feels very much like we're going back to like an NCIS vibe or like a, you know, how can we have the latest Tom Clancy vibe brought yeah. to us by, you know, Netflix or whatever. And it's like, you know, that's fine. Like 24 was a show that happened and like mm -hmm. a lot of people seem to like it. It's not like we we don't want those shows anymore. It's just that we would 
also like other kinds of heroes in our shows who are not white men with guns. And there's room for both. Like, even at, in trough TV, there's still room for, for both. And I hope that we see a shift back again um, toward having just more diverse lead characters in general. Yeah, and I feel like it's, I mean, it seems weird to kind of tie the notion of, you know, inclusion in pop culture to the notion of things being quirky or experimental. I think that those are two related things. Like, you have a show like Tuca and Birdie, which, you know, is about the two leads are women of color, but also it's also a show that's very weird and quirky. And those those two things don't have to go together. We want to emphasize that. But I do, those are two separate but related things that I worry about us losing, which is why I really want to urge everybody listening to this to support shows like I'm a Virgo and Heartstopper. Yeah. Uh, and to support books and movies and everything that are kind of foregrounding diverse identities, or they might be taken away from us. Yeah, I mean, we all love Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We like Guardians of the Galaxy, but we need to also give love and support to weirder projects and, you know, indie projects. Like, it isn't just about, you know, diverse identities. It's also about diverse productions, you know, Mm -hmm. productions that are coming from smaller studios or that are being produced entirely independently. And that's what's going to make our summers exciting now and for years to come. That seems like a great place to leave it. You've been listening to Our Opinions Are Correct. If you just stumbled upon us somehow, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like us, please leave a review. It helps a lot. And you can also find us on all the socials. We're on Mastodon as Our Opinions. We're on Instagram and TikTok as Our Opinions Are Correct. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Our Opinions Are Correct. And uh, I want to send a thank you to our brilliant, valiant audio producer, Veronica Simonetti, and to the incredibly talented Chris Palmer for providing our music. And once again, thanks thanks to you for listening. And, you know, if you're on Patreon, we'll see you in our Discord right after this, and we'll have a mini episode next week. For everybody else, we'll be back in two weeks. Bye! Bye!